Welcome to HSBC Talks Business, the podcast series that brings together business leaders and industry experts to explore the latest global insights, trends, and opportunities. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes. Thanks for listening, and now on to today's show. Welcome to Inspiring Progressive Female Entrepreneurs, a podcast mini-series that seeks to empower and support women who are on the journey of growing and scaling their business. We'll speak with inspiring women about their stories and get practical advice from entrepreneurs who've been there before. This podcast has been created in partnership with Albright. Thank you for joining us. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Claudia Adamson, and I am the head of business banking for HSBC and also the head of our People Excellence and Culture Programs within HSBC in the United States. And I am delighted to welcome you today. One of the barriers to scaling a business is that women have self-identified is their access to networks and having both a strong support network and peers and mentors helps with entrepreneurial success and creating a meaningful business network often opens the doors to connections that can really accelerate your business. We have a fabulous speaker here today. I'm delighted to introduce Lisa Skeet Tatum. Lisa got her degree in chemical engineering from Cornell, and then she went on to get her master's from Harvard along with her husband, which I think is a fascinating story. So not only has she been a successful woman in large organizations, but she also serves on the board of several high growth companies. So she brings a wealth of knowledge to this particular topic. She is also the founder of a company called Landit, which is a career pathing technology firm to help success and engagement of women with diverse groups in the workplace. And the platform offers a turnkey one size fits one solution that enables companies to attract, develop, and retain their talent. So Lisa, if you look back over your career and your experiences, is there any specific memory that made you, looking back, realize the importance of having a network that you've built? Thank you so much, Claudia. Excited to have this conversation with you. But I would say it was when I actually started Landit that I realized just what ecosystem I had surrounding me. So I think about in the beginning, when it really started to click, I had people whiteboarding with me. I remember having burgers in Colorado and people were like, what are we going to name this thing? People who made introductions, people who challenged me. I remember someone in my network saying, Lisa, I'm going to work so hard for you. And I was almost overwhelmed with emotion on the support because so many times we think we're alone on this journey. So there have been many inflection points where people have really come in my corner but it wasn't until I realized I wanted to start Landit and I saw so many people jump in that I said, oh my goodness, that's why you have to make the deposits along the way so that when you need to make a withdrawal, like starting a company, you have people there for you. And it must have been quite a leap starting your own business and we're all ears to hear about your journey. And so over to you. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And again, just really thrilled to be here. So we're going to talk about building your three key boards because we have to think about, again, the people we're surrounding ourselves with. So I'm going to give you a little bit of an overview of Landit. My story is the Landit story. So we're going to start there. So you'll see ways in which I leverage my board. Then what are the three essential boards that everyone needs? There's your board of directors, there's your advisory board, and then there's your personal board of advisors. 
So let's start with Landed, because again, Landed is my story. So I really set out to redefine how career success and access is achieved by putting the individual at the center, surrounding them with everything that would typically be reserved for the top of the pyramid, and most of us are not at the top of the pyramid, and kind of this one size fits one. So each and every person can own and drive their career forward, but we want to be there with the things that matter for impact. Almost as if you had a really great friend that actually knew what they were doing, that's really where we come in. And it starts with access to the most amazing coaches, developing your board of advisors, and also skill development. Your ability to grow is part of your currency for your career and also your ability to attract other folks to your success equation. We use our AI to recommend things, but it's portable because no one stays in one situation for the duration of their career. And what we set out to solve is that women in diverse groups are not progressing. So many organizations focus on intake, which is important, but more important is what happens when we get there. Do we stay? Do we thrive? Do we progress? And so when we see this thinning out, whether it be entrepreneurship, funding, corporate America, et cetera, we know it's about access, not about capability. And so I'm very famous for saying my mission is world domination, which it is, but it's really about democratizing and driving career success so that work and entrepreneurship actually work for everyone. And I didn't wake up one day and say, gosh, I want to be an entrepreneur. In fact, I don't really trust people who do that because it's too hard. You have to be driven by a bigger mission. So as Claudia said, I'm a chemical engineer by training, and I started life off in engineering and product development at Procter & Gamble, crossed over to the business side, and then I got recruited away to join a startup. And I had one year to launch 634 products. No, I was not counting. And at the end of that, I said, I would love to do that for more people. And someone said, what about venture capital? And I'm like, I'm from York, New Jersey. I don't know what that is, but yes, I'd like to do that. And they said, well, you don't have any networks. And so your only chance of breaking in is to go back to where they met lots of VCs. I applied and got in. And as Claudia, you know, I turned to my husband, my newlywed husband at the time and said, I'm out of here. What would you like to do? And he applied and he got in and we went together and it was great because you get two for the price of two. But I sacrificed everything. And I do mean everything to go back to business school. And I was one of the few women and women of color in venture capital. And I thought that was going to be my end all be all. And after a decade, I realized I didn't want to do that anymore. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. And everyone expected me to know. And it felt pretty uncomfortable, to say the least. Because no one walks around anywhere saying, I'm feeling less than confident or I'm not sure what to do next because there's a social cost to doing so. So many times we suffer in silence. And I realized I wasn't the only one, that there were millions of people just trying to figure out how do they achieve success on their own terms, but not knowing where to start, not knowing what they don't know, if they did, not having the access. And this is where leveraging the people around you is so critical because you can have the skill, you can have the motivation, but you're only going to go so far without enrolling other people in your journey because you don't know everything and you can't have access to everything. We're venture-backed, and I know so many of you entrepreneurs are on that journey, and so we've been very fortunate, even though it was not easy, that's a whole nother masterclass, to attract the funding, even more so for women of color. I was part of the amazing experience where, at the time, there were only 23 women of color that had raised over a million dollars. So we know that as you're entering this maze, what we want to do and what your board can do for you is to erase some of these barriers, to clear the friction, to get the, kind of the clouds out of the way. 
But also one thing that we don't like to admit, particularly on the entrepreneurial journey, is that it can be lonely. Even when you are surrounded with people, and also maybe you're a first-time founder, or maybe you're managing for the first time, which is enough to turn anyone's hair gray. It's how do you develop those skills? And what you will find, whether it's in your career or you're starting a business, executive presence and personal brand accounts for 30% of what it takes to be successful. You will not attract a sponsor or a board if the adjectives associated with your name are not strong. Because it's one thing to have a skill, it's another thing to be perceived as having a skill. And so the goal is when you have what you need, when you need it, that's how you land it. The former global head of PR for Nike helped me name the company, so it had to have the word it in it. But it's really about helping people succeed. And as I was going on this journey, I realized that you really have to get intentional about the care and feeding and also the parsing of the people in your ecosystem. So you have your board of directors, if, even if you haven't raised funding, and certainly if you have, then there's your advisory board, and then there's your personal board. So when you're thinking about your board of directors, this is one of the most important decisions that you can make. Because whether you raise angel money or you raise a professional or venture capital, the board and the right board can change your trajectory. It's about acceleration. And so why is this important? No one builds a company alone, right? If it's only you on that journey, you're capped in terms of your potential. But you're also looking for people who can leverage and complement your skills and networks. I can actually look at someone's network, and if it's very homogeneous, I already know that the creativity and the possibilities are limited. And then you're trying to think about you're raising the next round, right? The point of a seed round is to get to the A. The point of the A is to get to the B. So you're looking for people who can help you knock down those milestones in order to secure the next round, in order to scale and build your business. And so then some people say, okay, gosh, I have a board. What am I supposed to do? You're thinking about quarterly meetings. Maybe in the beginning, it's more frequent. You're trying to leverage the people on your board. You don't need it to be an all-day thing. Two hours is plenty. So you're talking about governance. You're talking about financials, your team. But I always encourage people to talk about challenges. What is the point of assembling a great board if you're bringing everything fully baked? So you want to make them do the work. You want to leverage their expertise. So you don't have to put everything out there, but you're thinking about a momentum story, but also where can you activate them? So think about that when you think about leveraging your board. So the second board is your advisory board. Why is this important? So in the beginning, I was a first-time founder, even though I had worked for some time, and I didn't have a team. So sometimes your advisory board is your proxy for success. Because as people are looking at funding, as they're looking at, do they back you? Do they spend their social and political capital on you? They're looking for evidence of the win. So they can bring credibility. They can bring expertise. My initial board, they opened all kinds of doors for me. But also, I only surround myself with truth tellers, people who are going to tell me the truth. There are a lot of people who tell you all the great stuff. But if you're thinking about moving on your journey, if you're thinking about changing the world as entrepreneurs like to do, then you need people who are going to tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. And so then the next question people ask is, okay, so I have these advisors. What do they do? What are the different types? And even how you would think about compensating them. 
So I like to say there are three levels. There's, I don't want to call it standard because I want a standard, but let's just say your first set of advisors. But then maybe you have strategic advisors. Or I remember because I had some very early people who were involved at Uber and Netflix and Kayak, et cetera, who were experts at scaling personalization. So at the idea stage, you probably have to give up a little bit more compensation or stock because not cash, because cash is not the currency of a startup. It's stock. Then as you move into the startup, maybe you step that down a little bit. And then if you're in growth stage, then you can step that down a little bit more. And what I've seen is sometimes they put an advisor on the same vesting schedule as management. I think industry standard may be a four-year vest. But sometimes it's a little more finite. It's a little more acute. So maybe it's a shortened with accelerated vesting. So that's how you can think about the different types and how you would compensate them. But then it's, well, how would you engage them? So maybe if it is at the idea stage, maybe it's quarterly meetings and you're asking for advice. Maybe if you're already out the gate, it's maybe an hour or so. And it's their willingness to, again, spend social and political capital on your behalf. Maybe they're picking up the phone. Maybe they're making an introduction. People, that's a big thing, recruiting people. And then when you're in the growth stage, you just want someone who's going to answer your emails or someone, again, who's willing to make those connections. If you're talking about someone who's strategic, then you may want to meet with them more frequently. In the beginning, I was having meetings every month, sometimes one-on-one, sometimes I would bring them together, and it was around talent. It was about who was I going to involve in terms of building the platform itself, because again, even though I'm technical, I wasn't, quote, I wasn't sitting there doing the coding. When I was coding, let's just say with many languages before then. Maybe in the startup, it's again, people who are willing to promote, and then it's really about sometimes in the growth stage. I've had advisors or investors come in with me sometimes for some of my strategic meetings. And then for an expert, maybe this is something who, again, is very targeted. You don't need them all the time year round, but maybe there's something you're trying to get done. I think some of our strategic meetings, I certainly leverage that. And then maybe when it's at the growth stage, maybe it's a phone call, maybe it's in person. It's not a lot of friction. And maybe it's about assisting you with a special project. So as you're going to see, you have to be very targeted. You have to be very respectful and you have to be very intentional when you're thinking about developing these different types of boards, as well as the role they may serve. So you got your board of directors, which typically happens around funding. You have your advisors, which you really should be cultivating from the very beginning because it's tough. Entrepreneurship is tough. Even when things are going great, there are those moments when you're like, oh my goodness, someone said to me the other day, Lisa, can I quit my own startup? It's like, no, you can't. You just go to bed, wake up, brush yourself off and start over. This is where you leverage your board. But you cannot forget about your personal board of advisors. So why is this important? Because your network is invaluable for your success. You will be the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So I know some of you are like, oh, I better do a little bit of editing. Plus, as I mentioned, entrepreneurship is isolating. And if you are informal about how you manage it, it will lack purpose, it will lack focus, and it will lack impact. So you have to be very intentional. So as you're figuring out what's your why and as you're on that journey, this is where they actually come in because there are some challenges, right? This notion of, 
I'm the leader. I started a company. And then you find yourself sitting there saying, you know, what the fudge, right? We've all had those days because there are challenges. And one is this notion of feeling isolated. It is well documented that even though you're mission driven and you're doing things, it can be a very lonely place. There's also what I call self-doubt. What do I mean by that? There's always what you think, what you think everybody else knows. We just as much, if not more. Even the great Maya Angelou, who is a hero of mine, said she lived in constant fear that someone would figure out she's a fraud. So when you're trying to change the world, you're trying to bring something new, how many times have you said to yourself, oh my gosh, do I have what it takes? Or do I have the energy to go on? Or what happens if I say yes first and I don't have everything to back it up? It really does have an impact. This is why you have to get unlonely. So I happened to sit on the board of Union Square Hospitality Group with the amazing Danny Meyer, and he's the founder of Union Square Cafe and Shake Shack, et cetera. And one of the things that he said that I think is so powerful is that whether it's hospitality first or developing your board, it all boils down to one word, which is the word for, right? So many times we feel like something is being done to us. When you're thinking about your board, you're thinking about who's doing things for you. And how does it feel, back to the question Claudia asked in the beginning, when someone is all in on you, right? That's what you're trying to create, when someone is for you, because you're going to be more willing to take risks. You're going to be more willing to get creative, as opposed to when you feel like you're facing a lot of headwinds, if you will. And so think of your board of advisors as your dream team. This is your trusted inner circle, all with different roles, but they're focused on one thing which is your success. Said another way, it's who's putting the extra weighted success on your scale. So even though entrepreneurship is hard, and even though sometimes you're running on the bridge as you're building it, you have to make the time and be intentional about building outward. Again, looking at how homogeneous or how tidy your role, your entrepreneurship network is, and thinking about getting intentional. When you're having a meeting with folks, don't leave a meeting without asking, who else should I be speaking with? So it's really key to not look at it as another task, look at it as an investment. One of my sponsors since I was in business school is Carla Harris, Vice Chairman Morgan Stanley. She sits on the landed board, and many of you may have heard some of her pearls of wisdom. But she talks about the most important currency is relationship currency. And why you have to invest in those relationships because no one's going to spend their hard-earned social and political capital on someone they don't know. And so just like you schedule projects in, just if you're remodeling your kitchen or something, you schedule that in, have the intentionality with your board. Because at the end of the day, your network is your net worth. And so these are some of the few people on my board. You'll notice that most of them do not look like me. And that is a mistake that we make. We only affiliate with people who are like us, whatever that may mean. So you have to be porous in terms of the people that you allow to be involved in your success because you never know when someone is going to see something in you. And so if you want to progress, you have to surround yourself with people that have higher expectations of you than you have of yourself. Because we all have those moments of doubt. 
And so my husband and I like to say we are part of each other's risk-taking squad. When I was starting Landy, he's go, you need, you have everything you need. And I was like, but what if I fail? What if that's the last thing people remember? And I remember when we were coming out of business school and he said, I've always wanted to be in sports and I'd like to be a commissioner, but I'm not a lawyer. And I'm like, you have everything you need. And my husband's actually the deputy commissioner of the NBA. And so we like to say we wouldn't be where we are if we weren't pushing each other. So who's part of your risk-taking squad? And so when you think about attracting, performance comes first. People want to back people that they believe in. You have to know who the good ones are. Just because they have power doesn't mean they're great for you. You have to raise your hand for exposure and make sure your value and your contributions are known. This is not a time to be shy. And you want to have clear career goals, but you don't have to have it all figured out. Share that so people know how to help. And then make sure you're sponsor ready at all times because you never know when someone's going to see. And then last, I believe you can't force love of any kind, right? Whether in your personal life or professional life. So start with your squad, your affinity group, people who you already have a connection with. And then be intentional. When you have a sponsor, you should be reaching out every 60 to 90 days. When you do, be very clear about what you're going to talk about. What you talk to your sponsor about is not what you should talk to your mentor about. And so it's really about understanding the role they play. So you have the right ask of the right person. It's never just coffee. Don't just roll up in a meeting not prepared with something you want to ask or something you want to give. And then it's about having that continual engagement. So you don't have to say, will you please be my mentor? People know the role that they serve in your life. And then you're looking for little ways to reciprocate, whether it's just, I thought about you today, or here's an article you may like. Have intentionality with your board the way you do about everything else. So if I were to summarize, the right board of directors can propel you forward. So be intentional about the crafting. If you assemble the right advisory board, it can enhance your credibility and access. And when you assemble the right personal board, it will be your recipe for long-term success. The first question I have is, have you started writing your own book? So many people have been asking me that. I haven't. Should I? I absolutely think so, because I listen to a lot of people, and I don't tend to just pick my notebook up and just start writing down. But I think it also translates what's powerful about what you were sharing is it's not just about assembling your board. It's not just about networking. It's about building your career in so many different ways, whether you're employed or you have your own firm. So I think a very powerful points that you made. How important would you say it has been to create those mentoring, mentoring relationships for yourself? And how do you identify, how have you personally identified valuable mentoring opportunities? Because you have some great ones listed. I think it's critical. And I learned this fortunately earlier on in my career at Procter & Gamble, when I saw how it was people that made things happen. I remember I like to share when I was graduating from Cornell and I was like, I'm going to stay an extra year and I'm going to take intensive Japanese and I want to move to Japan. And I remember I was a co-op student and someone pulled me aside and she said, Lisa, that's an amazing goal, but not now. She's like, you're 20, 21 at the time. She goes, you don't have a network. You don't speak the language. You don't have a track record at Procter & Gamble. And so your chances of being successful are quite slim. But if you want to get there, I'll help you. But here are some precursors. 
And I was like, oh, that's how it works. And I think I was, again, 20 years old at the time. And I started seeing how when you have the right people, again, who hold up the mirror of truth and who care enough about you to invest in you, it makes all the difference. And so I would say, yes, you got to do the work. You got to show up. You have to deliver. You have to protect your brand. Um, And you're only going to go so far without people who are advocating for you and propelling you forward. And I would say it's critical and we don't like to do it, but you have to do it. The thing is to do it in a way that's small. A lot of people think I'm an extrovert. I'm not an extrovert. I'm in the middle of an ambervert, but that's not a reason to not go out there and start to cultivate. There have been times when I was like, oh, she didn't have to do that, but there was something in the way I showed up that she saw something in me, but then you own it to develop the relationship. And that's why we codified that and landed because most people, most humans don't know how to do that. Well, and I think knowing the seat that I'm in now and remembering my 21-year-old self is all those phone calls I get now saying, oh, can I have a coffee with you? Or, oh, can I have this? But it really is taking that time and thinking through what you want to achieve. And to me, it's almost value and curiosity that you're building with that person. Um, because it's not just showing up and saying, Hey, how can you help me? It's really thinking about what would you do if you were working for that person or however that might be. But I think that's critical about what you were saying. It can really unlock success for people. So thank you so much for sharing that. What is the most important factor you consider when hiring your own team? The first is I look for evidence. What do I mean by that? If someone says I'm mission-driven, what's the evidence? You need people to punch above their weight. So when have you seen that in the past? Don't just take it the worst, but it's more like when your kids are applying to college, it's show me, don't tell me. The second is ice cream for owners, not renters, because you need people who are going to run through fire when it gets tough. And so you can also ask those types of questions. And then the other thing that you said is my third, which is people who are intellectually curious, because then that means they're going to be in pursuit of excellence. And when you hit a rough patch, they're going to be in there trying to figure it out. And those are the three things that we look for. And I have a non-negotiable, no drama rule, because anytime I spend on drama, that means I'm not changing the world. So those are the things that, that we screen for. Brilliant advice. Everybody should be following that. So to wrap up, first of all, just thank you. You're hugely motivated. It's one of these things where I'm writing down all these things that you're saying. So definitely, if it was up to me, I would love for you to write a book and I'll be the first one to buy it. What do you know now that you wish you knew then? Oh, what do I know now that I wish I knew then? I would, I tell everyone this, the importance of taking risk. And I've always been a risk taker, but not crazy, just jump off the cliff risk, right? Asking yourself the right questions. Will you gain new opportunities that you wouldn't otherwise have? Will you be exposed to people? This notion of as you progress, you actually have to take more risk because the biggest risk of all is staying in your comfort zone. And so I think the importance of that, I was doing it, but I didn't fully realize what I was doing, but it really is about outsized return. So I would say the importance of taking risk for sure. Doesn't mean you don't have butterflies, but you have to do that. Just a big thank you and wow. I haven't written down so many notes in quite a long time. So huge thank you. Thank you so much, Claudia. You're going to write the foreword, I'm telling you, but thank you so much.
You've been listening to Inspiring Progressive Female Entrepreneurs, HSBC's podcast mini-series dedicated to supporting women on the path of growing and scaling their own businesses. To access more resources for female entrepreneurs, please refer to the description of this podcast. Thank you for joining us at HSBC Talks Business. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please do subscribe to the HSBC Talks Business channel to stay up to date with new episodes.